0: good to be here this morning. My name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors, and it's just such a beautiful display that we have good news in this life to go from death to life. Um, We're going to be in Romans chapter 3 today. Last week we ended our sermon series in Mark after a couple of years there, and this morning we're starting a new sermon series called Let Us Hold Fast That will be based on several important questions that the Bible does give definite answers to. But in our age, we are prone to doubt that they are true or to try to answer them differently. And these questions are based on a recent survey called the State of Theology Survey conducted by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. They've been doing it every two years for the last decade. And its stated purpose is to take the theological temperature of the United States to help Christians better understand today's culture and to equip the church with better insights for discipleship. So the survey shows results for both Americans generally and those identifying as evangelical Christians in America. And some of the results were, were pretty concerning. So it, it seems wise to show what the Bible has to say on these topics since there's clearly an abundance of pressure um, in the world today to move away from these truths. We will still be preaching The Bible. We're not preaching a survey. The way we preach through Mark and what we normally do here might be called sequential exposition where we expose what the Bible truly says in this text and then the very next text and then the very next text. That's what we ordinarily do. This sermon series, which will run until Easter, um, we'll be doing what might be called selective exposition where we are exposing what the Bible truly says in this text we've selected, and then in this text we've selected, but we're preaching what the Bible truly says in all these. Um, we were planning on starting the sermon series last week, actually, with Pastor Garrison preaching on, should we read the Bible literally? Um, and then this sermon today would be on, are, you, are we sinful by nature as humans? Um, but we had the snow day a couple weeks ago, and with Pastor Garrison's travel um, schedule, we decided... Uh, to just receive God's providence and and start the sermon series right here with Are We Sinful by Nature? And you can see how, in many ways, both of these topics are what lead to a sermon series called Let Us Hold Fast, what, what require this to be necessary. See, on the one hand, we need to know that the Bible is true and that it can be trusted, which we'll be preaching on next week. On the other hand, by nature, we are prone to suppress the truth and disregard what God says. We are not exhorted in Hebrews 10 to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because God's truth is slippery, but because our hands are prone to reach for other things following our eyes and hearts and minds. So as we move into our sermon this morning, I I want you to know that you will be offended. You will be offended, and I want you to know also that it is personal. It's not that I have a problem with you, but the problem is with you and with me. And you should know as well that I don't like conflict, so I'm, I'm as uncomfortable with this as you are, I promise. But I, I mean only to expose what, what the Bible truly says so that if you are offended, you are offended with what God says. And if you don't know if you should trust this, We'll be preaching on that next week. We should all be reminded that a bitter truth is better than sweet deceit. The bad news, at least in Christianity, is always followed by the good news. So let's pray together before we read. Bountiful Lord, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So we open our mouths and pants because we long for your commandments. Turn to us and be gracious to us as is your way with those who love your name. As we preach and receive this word, we ask not our will but yours be done. Help us sit at your feet Behold wondrous things together. Light our eyes, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Paul writes, What then? One, their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified In his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The big idea that we see in the text this morning is that all humans are sinful by nature and cannot make themselves righteous. We'll be looking at it in three points. The problem we all share The paradigm of human nature, verses 10 through 18, and then lastly, the power to be made right in verses 19 and 20. We're starting out with the problem we all share. All of us, that we all share? No, there are are two types of people in the world, we like to say. There are those who voted for this candidate and those who voted for that candidate. That makes a little more sense. There are two types of people in the world. Those who are trying to make the world a better place and those who like to just watch the world burn. There are two types of people in the world, those who make your life easier, those who make your life harder. There are those who have all the opportunities and advantages in life, and those who just don't have a chance. There are those who are strong and in power, and there's, there are those who are oppressed. There are those who are snobby religious folks, and there are those who are down to earth. There are those who show up on time or early, and there are those who are irresponsible, lazy, and disrespectful of others' times. I'm on the wrong side of that one, okay? But don't worry, I'll just flip it around. There are those who are overly rigid, self-righteous timekeepers, and then there are those who let life in God's world unfold naturally and take time to smell the roses and are aware of things around them. Now I feel a little better. I'm joking, of of course. I don't mean those things. There's some truth in all of those things, but they're exaggerations. None of them actually explain what's wrong in the world. But we joke about these things because that's kind of how we think sometimes, right? The world is divided into two groups, and I'm on the side that's right, obviously. And that is human nature. We see it in the text this morning. Paul doesn't just say that all are under sin. He says that both Jews and Greeks, or Gentiles are under sin. and Gentiles are just people who are not Jews, so it's like saying all people, those who show up on time or early, and those who are late are sinners. It's redundant. It's all people, and it's only really necessary to be redundant like that if someone held an exaggerated belief that one group is better off, and that's what was happening in the church in Rome. Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians were trying to draw a line between them that implicated the others of sin, but but exempted, excused themselves from God's judgment. And Paul says, no, all are under sin. There is no line dividing those who didn't really know any better and those who did know better and still sinned. There is no line dividing those who were nearer the things of God and godly homes with godly words, with godly practices, and those who are far off. There's no line there. There's no line dividing those who have tried and done mostly good things and those who didn't try very hard or did mostly bad things with their life. There's some truth in those things, but there is no line exempting those on one side. And while we might draw some lines differently today, we all know that there is something wrong with our world, and we are desperate to try to explain it in such a way that I'm on the good side of the line and not the bad one. We don't need to see the numbers. We know that our world is full of murders and thefts, abuses and deceit, I know it in my righteous anger, my desire for justice, for the things that other people are doing that I see on the news and in my very life. And I know it internally in the guilt and shame that I feel over things I've done with my life. It is human nature to know there is something terribly wrong in the world and to seek to explain it so that I am on the right side of the line without blame. And Paul says, stop drawing lines. And draw a big circle. Because the Bible teaches that all are under sin. Because all people, all humans are descended from Adam. Romans 5, it says it this way. Paul goes on later in Romans 5, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, yet... Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So the Bible teaches that Adam lived not just as the first but also as the representative of all mankind. And when he rejected God's design and sinned, his nature became sinful and corrupt, and he passed it on to us. As a church, we believe this. Sometimes called original sin, it's the origin of sin, and this is in our confession of faith as a church in the abstract of principles. So if you're a member, you you hold to this belief. This is on our website, our confession of faith. I want you to see that you have resources on our website. I'm going to quote from the New City Catechism later. There are things that we have here that can help you see what the Bible teaches on these things. The abstract of principles, our confession of faith says, God originally created man in his own image and free from sin, but through the temptation of Satan, he transgressed the command of God and fell from his original holiness and righteousness, whereby his posterity that's all those descended from him, inherit a nature corrupt and wholly opposed to God and his law who are under condemnation and as soon as they are capable of moral action become actual transgressors. So when Paul says in Romans 3, 9, that all are under sin, he's saying that every human ever is born a descendant of Adam, and thus every human ever is under the directing power of sin. Like a soldier under a general or a slave under a master, we are all under sin. It is in the driver's seats of our hearts. It directs where we go and what we do, and we are born this way. In Psalm 51, David truly confesses against you, Lord. You alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David said we were born into life this way, and Paul says in Ephesians 2 that even while we're born and live in this life, we are dead. Ephesians 2 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now At work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We are not mostly good people who do bad things sometimes. And we do not become sinful because we sinned. We sin because we are sinners. So the Bible says, Now, I know, I know this doesn't seem fair, and I understand that it might feel that way. I'm, I'm going to address more clearly what the Bible says sin is, we should want to know that, and also the alternate view that we are innocent or innocent by nature. But first, I want to address the fact that we tend to just think it's not fair that I would be considered sinful because of something someone else did that doesn't seem fair. I should be judged by what I do. And you're right, you will be. Don't worry. But you aren't just considered sinful because your first father, Adam, you are a sinner just like him. I am not considered someone with a reddish beard. I am a person with a reddish beard. I didn't choose it. It simply shows that I'm descended from people probably from Ireland or somewhere else with red beards. It's not fair or unfair. It's just the natural law of genetics where our bodies are like those of the people we descended from. Similarly, I'm an American citizen. I did not fight in the Revolutionary War. I did nothing to earn or choose it. I was simply born here, and so I'm an American. I know that as individuals we don't like this, but we are intricately tied to the people who have gone before us. We did not simply show up on the scene one day as a completely new human being. The reality is we accept this when it benefits us, and we push back when it doesn't. My great-great-grandfather fought on the wrong side of a war, I'm not hanging up his picture in my living room, but if he started a successful business, I'm gladly living off of his profits despite not earning any of it. Like it or not, you were born in this world as a combination of all the people who have lived before you. And while genetics and inheritance have spread out and gotten specific through the ages, one thing that has united all humans throughout all time and place is that we are born sinners like Adam. This is what the Bible teaches is the problem in the world, the world you live in. in. addition to this being taught in the world and just logically actually making sense of everything, I'll also remind you that this is how we receive salvation as Christians. It's the very same principle. But in the end, we, we struggle with this. We want our own shot. We want to be judged individually and against other people that we look better than. And I think this defiant attitude, demanding fairness, as we see it, actually displays quite well what the Bible calls sin. So thank you for transitioning us to the second point, the paradigm of human nature. We see it in verses 10 through 18. You can take a look at that. What even in sin, if the Bible's going to charge me with being a sinner, to my core, at least explain the charges. Paul is showing what it looks like in verses 10 through 18. He's quoting several Old Testament passages here. That's why it's set apart, different in your Bible. And he's showing that this is not a new idea he's coming up. It's what God's been saying all along. All the scriptures agree on this. And look at the movement of verses 10 to 18. It goes from internal things, 11 and 12, understanding our minds, seeking our hearts, And then it moves into external things. Look at all the body parts mentioned in verses 13 through 18. Paul's showing what the whole Bible is showing that sin is first an internal state of the mind and the heart toward God that is then seen in our words and our actions. The things we say and do are not simply showing, the things we say and do are simply showing others and ourselves what is going on inside of us. And Paul says that Scripture says that what is going on inside of us is not not good. Starts out in verse 10, saying that no one is righteous. No one person, no single person is how they ought to be as a human. No one is a correct version of mankind. All have defaulted on the design. And the reason is we refuse to believe there is a design or a designer. So we've made ourselves useless or corrupt. I think... That's a better understanding of the word worthless in verse 12, because I think we might read it and think that means humans are not valuable, but that's not true. Sin has made us completely corrupt in our nature, but it has not diminished our nature. Our, our heart, soul, mind, and strength ought, ought to love God. They are completely corrupt, gone astray, but we still have a heart, soul, mind and strength. We are still humans and God made humans with a gloriously good design. Psalm 8 says it this way, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you God have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him too? Yet you have made him just a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. God made everything and it was Good, then he made Adam the first, the figurehead of mankind, and and he designed him and thus all humans to share dominion over all created things, crowning him with glory and honor to the praise of God's majesty. There is a weighty significance to our existence. We were made for God to look us in the eye and say, Very good. Well done, I'm pleased with you, my faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. Here's even more. Enter into the joy of your master. Eternal life, uncorrupted with God, was our design. But the serpent in the garden attacked Adam and Eve's understanding. God said if they ate of the one forbidden tree they would die, but the serpent imagined a different reality wherein they thought that if they ate it they would be like God. Satan attached an alternate eternal idea to a created thing and he crafted an image. The fruit became a tangible window into God likeness. And they gave in. They thought this seemed good and true. It seemed right. And so they sought glory and honor and immortality in a created thing rather than the creator. In mercy, God did not kill them but gave them over to this corrupt way of thinking and living in this world. And we have all inherited this same nature, this same darkened understanding. See, the problem... Not the created things of this world, nor the creator. The problem is our corrupted hearts and mind, which exchange and invert the created order. The problem is us, you and me, at the core. In our tech-heavy world, we have a term for this. User error. Maybe you've experienced it. You've set up some new device, but it won't... Work quite right. You start hitting it, and growling at it, and cursing it. You blame the cheap parts. You blame the lazy engineers. But a friend, rather cautiously, they they point out the real problem to you. The problem is you arrogantly threw away the directions. You arrogantly threw out the instructions and tried to use it on your own terms. The problem is you. You were made to be the image of God in this world, knowing Him and showing what He is like to the world in the way that you live. No wonder you feel like a failure. It's no wonder you feel like you've done something wrong. It's no wonder you're scared to let anyone really get to know you or see inside of you. Romans 1 tells us we've rejected God's design and exchanged it for one where we craft images of God-likeness in creation, rather than being it ourselves. We see this throughout Scripture. It could be called idolatry. The New City Catechism, question 17, says it this way. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the Creator for our hope and happiness. Significance and security. My life... Our lives are full of good created things and spheres. Even if they're not going the way you want, they're full of good created things and spheres. They're not the problem. Jobs and families, home and hobbies and gatherings and groups and food and friends, I was made to live in and with these good things as an image of God, knowing him and showing him in the way I love and serve in these spheres and use these things. But how often instead, the corrupted and inverted understanding, do I show up to my job, and marriage, and city, etc., desperately demanding them to give me the things I can only have by knowing God, things like hope, and happiness, and significance, and security, and this darkened understanding, it turns into lusts of the flesh, I just need it, I'm not even thinking, I just need it. I need that role with more responsibility and power and control. I just, just give it to me. I need peace and quiet, comfort and pleasure. Just give it to me. I need you to say I'm the best. You can't live without me. I'm indispensable. I'm all you need. Just give it to me. What's your problem? We've all turned aside. We've Arrogantly thrown out God's instructions and sought to live in the world as we see best, and in so doing, we're arrogantly rejecting God himself. Psalms 14 and 53 are are what the first parts of these verses here in 10 through 18 are, are quoting from, what Paul's quoting from. And the first verse in both of those Psalms says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. By nature, we are all that arrogant fool living as if there is no God. And then, this internal reality, cutting ourselves off from the design and the designer, it starts seeping out into our words and actions. Look at verses 13 through 17. It's just like Jesus said in Mark 7. Mark 7, Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Again, he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Jesus himself said that it is not the things that happen to us or go into us that make bad words and actions come out. What is already inside us simply comes out when we speak. Now Paul mentions and, and the Psalms mention in asp, verse 13, that's a type of snake. And we sound pretty snake-like in verses 13 and 14, don't we? Our throat is like an open grave. You look down to see what is inside of a person, and all there is is only death, a tomb. So naturally, as Jesus said, death and deception start coming out of us, just like the serpent in the garden. We deceive by outright lying about what we've done, of course, but we also deceive serpent in the garden, when we slander, when we exaggerate the bad things about someone behind their back, or with flattery when we exaggerate the good things about someone to their face to manipulate them to get what we want. This venom is right under our lips and as we have some faulty image in our minds from our suppressed seeking, our mouths start filling up with curses and bitterness toward anyone who stands in our way. The venom starts coursing through us. We will do whatever it takes to lay hold of or hold on to that image of glory before our eyes. And if we're not stopped by other forces in our lives, this venomous hunt will continue as we start, not just hurting other people with our words, but moving on with our actions, stepping all over them, stealing, abusing, neglecting, all the way to shedding blood and causing utter ruin and misery all around us like the worst humans in history. It is by God's grace alone that we are not as bad as we could be. God in his mercy, he's established governing authorities and families and the conscience, just society to restrain evil from utterly reigning in our lives and in our world. They don't always function perfectly, of course, but we can still thank God for them. They've kept us from descending as far as it could have gone. But while our evil is restrained, no one ultimately does good you might do good things on the outside and and those are good things. you should do the good things but by nature it will not be simply because it is the good thing to do as you reflect God's image in the world you will do it to feel better about yourself to make up for something bad you've done to be seen doing it by others or simply out of care for another human which is good it's closer but it's still godless and then it's elevating people above God Even the good things we do, by nature, are not from a pure, but from a corrupt heart when measured against the internal standards that Jesus commands in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. He says, you have heard, it was said to those of old, you shall not murder externally, but, or and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry internally with his brother will be liable to judgment whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire goes on you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery externally but i say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart whether a little drop of venom comes out in the form of an angry thought or a full-on venomous bite in the form of murder, both show that we have fangs. Whether a lustful thought or full-on adultery, the problem is that we are not supposed to have venom in us. We are humans, not snakes. See, if I stab a milk jug, milk comes out because milk is what was inside. When you get stabbed by life, what comes out of you? whether you're simply pricked by a minor inconvenience or pierced by a major hardship, what seeps out of you? Is it bitterness and cursing? Grumbling and deceit? Envy and sexual immorality? Foolishness and pride? As much as we can grow and control and modify and improve, you know that you have the venom of sin coursing right under the surface that would burst out of you right now if the wrong thing happened. You might harden yourself and excuse yourself and say, I can't be judged for this because of this and, and that. But it all comes to prove, verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes no desire to know the true design, and in the end, a denial of the designer himself. So that's what the Bible says. But survey says 71% of Americans agreed with the statement, 65% of evangelical Christians agreed with the statement that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. That's a really high number. Um, So we should probably address this alternate paradigm of human nature. At its core, it's pretty similar to an old heresy called Pelagianism and Semi-Pelagianism, which is from a guy named Pelagius, and they were refuted by a guy named Augustine and other theologians to show that they don't line up with what the Bible teaches. But in different forms, they kind of remain today in our humanistic world of, of individuals, and is evidenced in the survey. And so this this innocent by nature worldview essentially says that we are good by nature, or we are just kind of weakened by nature, and that we then fall individually into sin in our lives as we give in to temptation, or follow bad examples, or choose to be bad, or just forced into bad decisions and reactions by forces outside of me. And I, I think that many people might have somewhat good intentions for for wanting to believe people are good, innocent by nature. It's good to give people the benefit of the doubt. And human life is incredibly valuable, as we've talked about. We can see good things in the design. I also think that throughout human history, humans and Christians have at times been pretty heavy-handed in blaming things on personal sin. There have been times when Christians have blamed all sickness and all suffering and all being sinned against on that person's personal sin, and that's not good or helpful or true. Maybe some of you have been hurt by these accusations. I'm I'm sorry. The Bible does not teach that when a person is sick or suffering or sinned against that we can assume it is a direct result of their personal sin. It does not teach that. The fallen nature of the world, the sinful nature of other people, contribute and lead to these things. It's not right that you are sick or suffering or sinned against. You can trust God in those circumstances. He's prepared us well in his word for all of those scenarios. And as Christians, we should want to bear with one another and be patient with one another as we endure hardships, not assuming that everything is a sin issue in someone's life. And yet, while that is an extreme and wrong view, we ought to want to know the truth. Not to just undo the wrong idea at any cost and overcorrect into the other ditch and say that people are innocent by nature, which is not what the Bible teaches. See, you can be sick and suffering and sinned against and also be sinful by nature. These things are not mutually exclusive. It's a false dichotomy. Imagine you go to the hospital because someone has stabbed you in the back. While being treated, they do a scan. They discover that you have an extremely rare, life-threatening, genetic heart condition where your heart is the size of a snake's heart. We'll just keep that thing going, right? It's a very small heart. And it's actually a medical miracle that you've lived this long, and only an invasive heart transplant surgery gives you any hope of continuing to live. You might say, I'm sorry, doctor. I came in here because I was stabbed. That's clearly what's wrong. I'll just do my physical therapy, treat the wound, and it'll cure it. And also, I've been feeling down for a while. I think I'm just sick. I think you're mistaken. The doctor would say, yes, you were stabbed. That's true. You need to treat the wound. Don't let it get infected. That is your responsibility. Do your physical therapy. And you do have a cold. Here's some medicine. Those things are true. But it is also true that you have a far, greater and deeper problem that existed before this. We must operate. The effects of sin in the world and the sin of others did not cause you to be a sinner. That is only a philosophical theory that the world is desperately trying to prove in our age, but it has no foundation in Scripture, and it doesn't even hold up in reality other than We all just wish it were true so we could be off the hook. As Christians, we ought to be discerning here. We ought to weigh the findings of the world against the foundation of Scripture, not the other way around. That doesn't mean we reject science, but that we should acknowledge that oftentimes the actual observable facts of science are packaged together with philosophical views of humanity when we read about them. The world likes to take something that is true. It's not my fault that I was sinned against. And, and to stretch it to explain everything that is wrong in the world because it cannot be that we're sinful by nature. Instead of asking what is wrong with the world and finding the answer to be me, as G.K. Chesterton put it, we are obsessed with asking what is wrong with me and assuming that the answer is the world. And this, this paradigm of viewing what is wrong with me by looking at the world, it can explain some things. It can keep you going for a while. You can find some help in it. You can look at your parents and personality, your difficult circumstances and sufferings, and it can explain, maybe, why I am prone to sin in certain ways, but not other ways. It might help explain why I reach for this idol, but you reach for that idol. But while it might help explain the direction of my sin, it cannot explain its presence in my heart to begin with. Furthermore, if we hold this philosophy up to the light, we see that it cannot hold up for all humanity. If I get to sit in this chair and say that all my sinful actions are because of the bad things people did to me or the bad circumstances in my life, then those people, the bad things to me, also get to sit in this chair and say the very same thing. The problem is you know that the things those people did to you were wrong, not just reactions. And eventually, someone is going to sit in this chair and say that I did the bad things that that caused them to sin, and the very reason I sat in this chair in the first place was to find a way to explain why I feel guilty and ashamed not to have it heaped back on me. It can only work for one person at a time. Only one individual can hold this to be true because it implicates all other people in the world. But you are not the only human in the world. Look around the room. We cannot all be the sun in the solar system. That is chaos. We cannot build a worldview from an individual's point of view. We must see it from the creator's point of view. I'll summarize Summarize this way, it is clearly taught in the Bible that all people are sinners by nature. If you believe that all people are born innocent, and then all people end up sinning, all people fall into sin on their own, in their own lives, I think you have good intentions. But there is no foundation or evidence for this to be true. It, it just sounds nice. The reality is that if every person everywhere throughout all times ends up sinning, then that is the biggest sample size ever. And it should simply be seen as evidence that we are sinful by nature, as the Bible teaches. I also, I, I wonder if in here you, you think, well, what about babies? We're born in sin, and, and I can't get into the weeds on that, but to say we know enough in Scripture to know that God is just, not just wrathful, also not distant with a process set in place that he's not over. He is just. He's also merciful. He shows mercy to whom he chooses to show mercy. We know enough in the Bible to believe these things to be true, and that's enough to trust him. We don't need to invent a doctrine that the Bible doesn't teach to make it easier to trust him. We should just take what he's given and trust him there. Maybe instead, third, maybe if you believe that that people don't really sin, they just make bad decisions by simply reacting to things, then, then there are no moral standards. It's just humans reacting to one another, like atoms in a lab tray, which is a godless, chaotic world which doesn't explain why you rightly feel righteous anger at others' sins and rightly feel guilt and shame over your own. Fourth, if some people are sinners... and I am not, then, then I am dividing the world into two categories in which I am in the right. But, but I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. You're not God. If you were, you would make all the bad things in your life go away. But you're, you're not God. Saying other people have sinned even though I didn't design them means I'm appealing to a standard of right and wrong that exists outside of me and outside of that person and if I'm going to judge people by that standard, I also have to be judged by it as well. See, in the end, in order to explain or excuse or exonerate me being a sinner, I must either say there is no God or that I would make a better God who gets to draw the line between the righteous and the unrighteous. I get to be the judge, both of which, denying God and claiming to be God, are the very definition of human's being sinful by nature. This brings us to our third point, the power to be made right. James 2, it says this, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. There is a moral standard. There is a design. There is right and wrong. We have this law written in the scriptures and on our hearts. And failing in even one point of the law makes you guilty of it all. Because God does not judge us against other people as if he's picking the highest jumpers for his basketball team. We are judged against the very design we were created for, and being shown that design in the law has no power to change us, but only to show us whether we measure up. Like a sign at an amusement park, it can only show you if you are tall enough to ride, it cannot make you taller. It can show if someone is righteous, but it cannot make someone righteous. A human being was designed To love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love other people as themselves, a human being ought not lie or lust or hate or hurt, not even once. You feel like a failure because you are a failure. You can blame other people for the expectations or limitations they put on you, but you're not being judged by their standards. You're being judged by God's. You belong to Him. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we love to try to cover our shame and shift the blame, saying, look at how good I am. Look at how bad they are. Look at all my bad circumstances. Don't look at my heart. The law says enough. Stop your excuses and explanations and exonerations. You have failed. You don't measure up. God knows the thoughts of your heart. So close your mouth be still and know that he is God. you cannot fool him you cannot hide you cannot make up for what you've done you cannot change your nature so what if if you are to be considered righteous you would you would need it as a gift because you don't have it you need a righteous giver if If you are not to just be considered righteous, if you are to actually be righteous, you must be made righteous. And if you are to be made righteous, you need the maker. You need someone who can destroy your old self and start a new creation in your heart. So you must stop looking at yourself and creation and the law and others. You must look outside of these things. And lift your eyes and look to your maker himself. But do you dare? Is it safe? After all I've done, is it, is it even safe to look at my maker? Well, it won't be on the last day. But today you hear his voice, do not let your hearts be hardened. Look to him. You will not see an angry judge, but an approachable Jesus. Jesus, he is the true image of the invisible God. He never sinned, not once. He loved the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength all of his days. He endured every temptation, and a hardship we could face. And when he was pierced, what flowed out of him was not sin, but love. He came for those who are sick with sin and know they need a life-changing operation. He is the divine doctor who can remove your snake-like heart and all the venom it pumps out. And he did it by being crushed on the cross in our place for the arrogant rejection of his divine Design, And he rose from the dead as the firstfruits and the figurehead of a new creation whom we might be united with by faith as Katie demonstrates in being baptized this morning. Romans 6 tells us, do you not know? Do you not know that all of us, all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus is the new and the last Adam, the representative that we can be united with and descended from by faith. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So the Bible does actually teach that there are two types of people. There are those who are still dead, enslaved to sin, rejecting God like the first man, Adam. And there are those who have heard God's voice and have looked to Jesus and been gifted his righteousness, who are born again with his nature and are being remade in the true image of God day by day, one degree of glory to the next, right on into eternal life with him. The truth that we are sinful by nature is not something we need to run away to, despite all the cultural pressure We must hold fast, because when we try to explain away our personal sin and guilt, we also explain away our need for Jesus, the very life source of the universe. We cannot comfort ourselves into the kingdom of heaven. We must confess ourselves in, confessing that I am a sinner and Jesus is Lord. As Christians, we have been entrusted with a message of reconciliation, because there is a need for reconciliation It is offensive, but it is not exclusive. It offends all human beings ever. It demands that all people, regardless of the sins they have committed or the sins they are currently living in, all people must repent and believe the gospel. No one can boast. No one is better. All need Jesus. The bad news is bad, but it is not hopeless. The good news, which comes with it, is glorious and available for all. The sinful nature of humans is the black backdrop that makes God's glorious grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ shine as the brightest, most beautiful gem in all creation. So let's steward that well as Christians. Two ways this impacts how we relate to one another as we close. First, our relationships with one another in the church. Well, they ought to be full of humility and openness and unity, right? Knowing that I was nothing but sinful by nature means there is nothing better in me than in you when God decided to save us. We ought to be incredibly humble and patient with one another. As we seek to live in our new creation lives. And we can stop hiding from one another. I need to hear this as much as you. We we already know you're sinful by nature. We won't be surprised at the ways you've gone astray either. The only thing greater than the human capacity to invent new ways to sin is God's capacity to create new life. We ought to know as well that this is the main thing we share in common. Our desperate need for Jesus might be the only thing in life you have in common with another person in this room. But as members of this church, that is what makes them your eternal brothers and sisters. So enjoy the reality that God has given us. Secondly, our relationships with our neighbors, who are not Christians, family members, friends, co-workers, they it ought to be full of gentleness and kindness, understanding their nature, but it also ought to be full of proclamation. Not law, but do better, gospel proclamation of Jesus. It ought to be full of prayer because God alone can change. and ought to be full of patience and perseverance. Your neighbor is sinful by nature. They cannot save themselves. You cannot save them. The gospel of Jesus alone is the power of God to save sinners. Where the righteousness of God is revealed apart from our works. So persevere in proclaiming and praying for your neighbors. Parents, this is true for your kids as well. If They're not Christians. Let gospel proclamation and prayer set the pace in your home for your discipline and lecturing, not the other way around. We can deal gently and kindly with non-Christians because we know they are not the enemy, but they also need to hear the full truth of God's gospel or they will sleepwalk in sin right into the day of judgment. We have been entrusted with God's message of reconciliation. So let's ask the Spirit to help us steward it well in the world today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful gem of the good news of Jesus. Pray that you would help us to receive it, that you would melt the hardness of our hearts to enjoy it. Pray if if there are those here today that that are still in Adam only, that you would save them, that you would open their eyes and their understanding. Invite them to call out to you in faith and I pray you would save them and give them a new heart today. I pray if there's those that are, that are in the church but not in Christ somehow hiding or, or faking, I pray you'd open eyes and ears and change, change hearts. Pray for those of us in Christ that we might know that we are not simply sinners anymore. That sinful nature lives on. It's, it's, it's destroyed. It's defeated, but it's not gone yet. We get to participate in putting it to death. Help us, empower us to crucify the flesh all the days of our lives, even while embracing the fact that we are now your beloved in Christ righteous as him. You see us righteous as him. You love us as him and you are doing a new work in us. Help us to fan that into flame in one another and in our lives. We ask for your help and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.